0: What's up and welcome to Wait Hold Up podcast with Jessica Molina and Yarel Ramos. Each week, tune in as we have unfiltered conversations about careers, relationships, wellness, feminism, and of course, we'll often be joined by guests you either know or should know who will share their humor, knowledge, and their very own Wait Hold Up moments with us. Here
1: at Wait Hold Up, we want you to feel like you found your crew, your girls who you can do life with listen it's a crazy world out there and we can all use some help in our efforts to live our best lives we don't have all the answers but we're down to figure it out together thanks for listening here's our latest episode of wait Wait. hold up
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Wait Hold Up. I'm Jessica.
1: And I'm Yarel, and we're so happy that you're joining us for another episode.
0: Yes, yes. We are slowly winding down this year. I cannot believe we're already in mid-November. But y'all, we have the best news because Joe Biden has been <laughs> elected president. <laughs> I'm so excited.
1: I know. Were you, were you expecting this, Jess? Were you a little nervous these past few weeks? Yo, I was so nervous.
0: I was really, really nervous because I just remember, well, it was Tuesday night and my partner and I are home and I was just like, There was all this anxiety. I didn't know what to do with my hands. I couldn't sit still. He's finally like, I'm working on this like 1500 piece puzzle. He's like, babe, just work on your puzzle. I'm like, okay, so I'm sitting down, I'm working on my puzzle, I'm watching TV. And I just remembered that like all of my, last time in 2016, all of my New York people didn't find out about the fact that Hillary had lost until the next morning. And so waking up to that devastating news. But because Mm. I'm in Cali, I knew that night that it was, like, not going to happen, right? And so I went to bed with that devastation. But I was so afraid of waking up to find out that we have another four years with this horrible human being. Mm. And so there was, like, a a fear of going to bed. And I slept so bad on Tuesday night. Mm.
1: Um,
0: And I think, like, gradually as the days went on, you know, that intensity wore off. So I think, you know, at the end, we're all just like tired. And like, it felt like the votes were going in as slow (laughs) as they were. Like what
1: was going on? (laughs) All those memes are like one vote, two votes. Like, no, okay, let's go. I know, I know. But um, when that
0: news came in Saturday morning, I was just, uh, I'm so happy. I am so, so happy.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I cannot even tell you, too, with the, the world of news, you know, coming in. I, I, and, and like you, I remember 2016 being in the newsroom and seeing it in front of me as I were reporting it and just being in awe of, like, is this really happening? And that feeling of, like, your stomach just sinks, you know, and you're just kinda like, I, you know, that's just really strange. You're not expecting it. I was really honestly worried because I was not trusting the polls this time around. I was not looking at the polls. Um and, and then just like the divisiveness of um that we've been living in these past few months, you know, this last year with everything, I can tell you that I something really crazy. I haven't prayed in a really long time. Like I have not really I know. I know I know it's yeah. I have not prayed and you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm very spiritual and I don't know why now that I, I, when I was looking back, I'm like, it's been a while that I haven't sat or even written down my prayers or, or said them out loud. And I pray just yes. like I this week. I was like, oh my God, Dios, Diosito, universe, like you gotta help us out. You know, like, you know, it was really crazy. I obviously I told my mom this, and she was a little disappointed. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: she's like, "This is the only reason you're
1: praying." <laughs> I, Domingo, we're going to church. Um, but yeah, it was it, for me. It was also just working in, in that environment and taking it. I, I don't. I haven't slept all of. I didn't sleep all of the election week. Um, just trying to keep up with the numbers, trying to keep up with the news, trying to keep up with everything that was going on um and then also just like the emotional aspect of it when you're so um kind of like in tune with everything and you're and you're in it right like you're in it with with what's going on with community and what's Mm -hmm. going on in social it becomes like so so heavy so yeah by the time saturday came around for me i was like okay you heard my prayers you know
0: it's universo everyone definitely has seen the video of the woman speaking in the Trump spiritual advisor speaking in tongues at this um, point like they're coming from Africa they're coming from Africa and I I also I mean I've been praying about this like God please please and so I'm like God was just getting a bunch of messages and was just like listen <laughs> listen y'all you gotta figure this one out I've given you the tools I've told you how to right life and it's right. it together I don't even know but it even with the fact that we have won and I know they're still counting but that we have won the f- amount of people that voted for Trump knowing exactly mm-hmm. who he is that he doesn't even want to get this pandemic under control doesn't even want to recognize it hasn't spoken about it for like a week while people are dying while people are dying while we're seeing rises it's trying to incite race wars across or is inciting race wars across this country it's just like it, it hurts because we have to come to terms with the fact that so many people are okay with that type of yeah. individual running this country for another four years and i think like there's so much healing and work that needs to be done. Like this is by no means, but this, this is by no means, a Oh, we're good. But this means we can actually get work done because we're not mm-hmm. having to convince people that racism is real. climate right. change, climate change is real. You know, science is fucking real. Like all of these things, we can now move on to like the next level of the conversation. Yeah, what
1: do we do? Right. How do we change these things? How do yeah. we move the needle from where we were at for sure? I yeah. mean, It's, and it's also like, I I was talking to someone about it, Jess, that the, that was the most, to me, everybody saying the blue wave, right? Oh my God, it's going to be a blue wave and the numbers are going to be, no, Biden got the most votes in history ever, you know, and then after it's Trump this year. So we can't talk about like, oh, the numbers were completely over the top. They're not the yeah. same amount of pe- even all these now that they're they're really looking into the polling and looking into all, all the numbers they're realizing that like more men voted for for more latino men voted for him you know what i mean uh, mm-hmm. more african-american men voted for him more white women voted for him than in 2016 Ugh. so we're starting to understand like these nuances when it comes to, to voting in these numbers and the realization of like well Nobody was impressed everybody nobody seemed bothered by the way he was handling the pandemic, which should have been number one. Right. Nobody seems to be bothered with the idea that he cannot even address the fact that racism is still a problem in this country. You know, all these little things that it's like, I, I then what are, then who are we gonna be who are we gonna be convincing now? Right. right. Who right. who do we have these conversations with? No, and it's like
0: we just have completely as a country, I think, feel like thrown out any sense of moral compass. Um and 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 it just is scary, I think, is what it is. And I know for a lot of people they're like, but I'm not surprised. And that's all but it's just it's sad because Yeah, we're not it it doesn't feel like we have advanced at all since the nineteen yeah. since the 1920s, <laughs> you know, it's oh, like it's so it's it's definitely um it's definitely frustrating, but at the very least I am excited at the possibility of us having the right people in the White House to help usher in change and and um, create lasting effects. I'm also just like, yo, the earth breathing like a massive sigh of relief. Like, yes, motherfuckers, <laughs> trying like safety. These ice caps, we getting hot, these fires. Right. Like, right. it has just been one thing after the other. And, you know, I do want to say regarding what you said about the voters and that turnout, there was definitely a lot of um, um, comments and tweets afterwards about like the Latino vote and how mm-hmm. we need to stop acting as if there's one Latino vote. And right. I just thought that and and that comment um, and it was by the uh, L.A. Times journalist um, Esmeralda Bermudez. Bermudez. Yeah, and she had a whole like thread on it, and it was awesome. But it's just like this idea of like year after year, we keep hearing about the Latino vote. The Latino vote is a myth. It is not a thing because ultimately, you know. And honestly, I was actually really disappointed because the Daily, I think yesterday, oh well, I should say Tuesday, because we're recording this Wednesday night. On Tuesday, has a whole thing about like the votes by demographics, and they start talking about the Latino vote, and they're like, oh, you know, it looks like the Latinos overwhelmingly supported Trump, and I'm like. We, if you do it in that such a brush, a broad stroke, then you're Mm going to fail year after year. Because if you look, for example, in Miami, then yeah, you're going to see Cubans voted overwhelmingly for Trump, which they've done for Republicans. They always do. Year and year again. And then you're going to see that the Puerto Ricans there voted more towards Biden. In my opinion, it wasn't overwhelming enough, but it was about 67%, right? So about almost... Um, two-thirds of the population voted for Biden. So it's like, you cannot talk about this population the same. You can't talk about Latinos. And I think the more that we continue to do so, the more that we're going to continue to think like, oh, if we just talk about one thing, if we just address one issue, then that's enough. And if we don't, I just don't understand them. You're not looking at them for different races, for religions, for orientations, nothing. Um, mm-hmm. so we'll just see how that continues to play out. But I thought that was a really smart analysis on her, on her front.
1: Yeah, no, she's, she's great. And she really like, I, she really touched on, on things that I think we all kind of know, we, we, we all know sometimes, but we don't really, uh, point together with like the way we vote in terms of like immigration, civil wars that people had, have to have had to leave their countries for. I mean, we've seen a huge even increased the number of, of Puerto Ricans coming to the U.S. after Maria, after leaving Puerto Rico. There was a, a huge migration to the U.S., which I think gave that impulse, too, you know, to, like, a lot of Puerto Ricans. I want to, I want to say that the numbers that I saw in terms of the country were, like, 74% voting for Biden, um, where it was it was completely opposite numbers for, like you mentioned, uh, Cubans and Cuban-Americans. Cuban the same thing with South Americans, where we've seen a huge migration of Venezuelans leaving their country right. as well. So I mean, yeah, there's so many things that, that we don't understand. And I'm glad a lot of these journalists too were speaking out about it. We're calling other newspapers that, you know, that were talking about the Latino vote. And most of the writers were non hispanic not Latino, mm-hmm. non You know what I mean? That it was like, how do you how would you understand when you're just seeing these numbers, putting us all together and then saying like, oh yeah, they they, you know, the majority of the this group voted this way. When it's not when it hasn't been the case, I mean the push even like in Arizona, you know, that we've seen yeah. has been with like years of a lot of these um, grassroots organization mobilizing communities, registering people to vote, helping people become citizens after Joe Arpaio and the whole situation being yep. like anti-immigrant. So depending on where you go, depending on the demographics, you're going to see uh, a different situation. You know what I mean? And also depending on like the history of, of these communities until you, un- until candidates and campaigns understand it then they're they're going to continue to miss out on the opportunities of just putting us all together in one in one situation putting on a reggaeton song and, th- and thinking oh and talking about immigration and thinking like okay we've got this vote right it's right not the case anymore
0: no it's not it's not so I think that they definitely need to consider their approach year after year and month after month because at this point it's like you can continue to move in the same way that you had in the past. Like, that's just not
1: going to fly. And and include us, Jess, right? Like, include us in these campaigns. Include people, like, in these, you know, and and whether it's a campaign for president, whatever it is. Now that Biden is going to be at the White House with Kamala, like, making sure we hold them accountable and that their governments represent us as well. Like, you cannot... Say okay, well, yeah. Look, check mark. We have a Latino, you know, in our PR department. No, we need to be. We need to be there. We need to be included. Yes. We need to be part of these conversations.
0: Yes, absolutely. Have sophisticated strategy and people that are integral to the communities to en- engage in this policy and these processes. A thousand percent. Period.
1: Right.
0: Um, and you know, we obviously can't talk about the voting population without shouting out the amazing black women that again yeah. people, you know did all they could to, to <laughs> save the democracy they saved us Stacey Abrams in particular yeah. someone who just like comes to mind and I remember just like reading about the fact that as we were seeing or are seeing like Georgia flipped to blue it started as like you know almost like a myth on Tuesday night or Wednesday when they started talking about it and it was like no way is this gonna even hold up like yeah the gap is closing but there's no way that Trump is gonna lose Georgia like it just yeah Georgia is red (laughs) yeah it didn't seem like a possibility and then the more that I saw like it going blue and then when they finally did and and digging into like Stacey Abrams like I just I ended up tweeting something that was basically like Stacey Abrams is a sign that God always has a plan for you because mm-hmm. she narrowly lost the election for governor back in 2018.
1: They, they pretty much took it from her. They, they pr- robbed yeah. it from her.
0: Absolutely. They robbed it. Yeah. And she went and saw every obstacle that, and in unjust system that they had. And she was like, well, if they, you guys can, you know, keep people from voting if you can mess up their rights and, and, you know, limit their access to the polls, exactly, then I'm gonna make sure that that never happens again. And she turns up and turns out with her coalitions. I believe her companies are what, Fair Fight? Fair Fight
1: Action and Fair Count.
0: Oh, I love it. And honestly, like, right now, y'all, we are definitely not out of the clear because we have two seats that we need to get in January so that the Democrats can control the Senate and we can not listen to Mitch McConnell um, and, and Lindsey Graham and not have them try to like block every great measure that is going to probably come from Congress and, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, from the people, what we want. Right. So there's a runoff. And I say like, either support the Democratic candidates if you can, or if not, donate to Stacey Abrams, um, one of her or both of her organizations, because mm-hmm. I know she's still out there doing the groundwork to make sure that people show up for this one. There's definitely election mm-hmm. fatigue throughout the country, but we mm-hmm. cannot say that it's over by any means. We've got to keep yeah. that momentum.
1: For sure. It's still going uh, and, yeah, supporting her. And also, you know, I really hope that even like the Biden administration not only taps her, right? For her help, her guidance, like what she did in in Georgia, what can be done in other states, you know when where there's a similar situation with voter suppression, uh, but also consider her for a position in their cabinet. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like she is, you know, she's, pushed and moved communities. She's been such an inspiration for women. Um, I mean, and I don't know, maybe she wants to run for governor again, in what, two years, which would be great. But I think even just considering her and the movements that she's created in Georgia, um, and the changes that she's adapted, and also like learn from what she's doing, because it's a lesson for all of us. And like how, how important it is when voters, just the idea of minorities being oppressed, when it comes to voting, because that's the way they want to keep us because Mm. they, they know that the moment that we go out in these numbers to vote, then shit's going to change. It's not going to be in their favor anymore. You Mm -hmm. know? So it's, it's understanding and learning from these things. And exactly like you say, what, what, what she's doing, um, you know, how can we use that to win our communities where we're from with our, with the work that we're doing and also making sure that we go out there and support her. Um, not just, yeah, showing love, of course, on social media, which I must say, I was, I was just, it, it just showed like her humility when, you know, she was, t- they were talking a lot about her on social and she's like, no, no, wait a minute. Behind me, it's, it's not me. It's all these other women, right? Mm. It's groups and groups of women all over Georgia, all over the country who've been getting up their, you know, their sleep, who've been going to these small rural areas and small towns making sure that they mobilize that they talk to people and that they're engaged and that they're part of like the this, this civic engagement of this country and democracy like and I, I thought I was like damn like that's so much about her right and about her character to not just take the spotlight and be like I'm gonna be on every show talking about what I'm doing which usually happens when someone is doing right. this, this something this big and she was like, no like look at all these women look at all these young people that have helped me and that were out there doing the work and that's that's super admirable like I love that. That she did. That's so incredible.
0: I love it. Thank you, and thank you for sharing that. That that gives a lot more insight into like just the admirable woman that she is.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So I love it. And as you guys can see, we're still passionate. We still are, you know, gonna keep drilling this message home. There is still some work to be done, and you know, even even once we got Biden in the White House, there is still more work to be done. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I hope hope you all are ready. Uh, for real for real so you know um i also Yarel, i'm super excited for today's episode you me too you were not able to join for this one um because it was really early and on the for west coast hours and i was back east so i i took it um and i got a chance to talk to janelle martinez and i personally have been following her for years she is the founder of the award-winning blog Ain't I Latina? And I remember years ago finding it and recognizing that it was like the only place online that censored the voices of um, Afro Latinx womanhood. And I just was very, very intrigued as someone who works in media, as someone who cares a lot about our community and our culture, and has always been drawn to diverse stories and th- diverse storytelling. and so it's like, you know what, I did what everybody else does. Once you find someone that you love, you stalk them on social. And like, so I've like seen her in my Insta and on my Twitter for years. But the opportunity to really talk to her about, um, you know, Black Latinidad and about the way that our community needs to show up in a better mm-hmm. way for um, mm-hmm. our Black brothers and sisters, uh, for lack right. of a word at this point, you know, I think is, is it, just one of those conversations where I was trying to have it from the perspective of what is it that I want to know more about, but also what is it that I feel like are common questions that mm-hmm. I see popping up within um, message, different message boards online. And so I really appreciated the fact that she gave us her time and space and really, you know, enlightened me on like thought leaders in the space that we should be listening to different ways that we need to be showing up and making space for people. And also mm-hmm. knowing when like there are conversations around Blackness, around identity and, and how to like not try to censor ourselves. Um, right. If you are not someone who is Black or Black identity, um, if you're not someone who's Black. And I think that this is still a conversation, kind of going back to what we were saying about voting, this is still a conversation that needs to happen more and more in our communities, right? Understanding that colorism, that racism exists, understanding that it is a thorn in our sides, that until we face the reality of it, it is gonna continue to plague our communities and and just Mm -hmm. create a space where we're hurting ourselves and others. And we need to grow and we need to take the time to learn from people like Janelle. So it was just like a yeah. really, really great conversation. Um, and, and, you know, and we finished it off just learning a little bit about her self-care, how she takes care of herself when she's constantly writing about things that are very heavy. Um, and yeah, very personal. And very personal. And so mm-hmm. I loved this conversation. I'm excited for you to hear it. I'm excited for our listeners to hear it. But um, yeah, but let me, let me properly give her an introduction, that's for sure. So Janelle Martinez is the writer and founder of the award-winning blog Ain't I Latina? An online destination celebrating Afro-Latinx womanhood. The Bronx New York native is a frequent public speaker discussing media, culture, and identity, as well as diversity at conferences and events for Bloomberg, NBCU, South by Southwest, Harvard University, and more. She's appeared as a featured guest on national shows and outlets, and her work has appeared in Adweek, Univision Communications, Oprah Magazine, Ramescla, and the New York Times. In 2018, she was recognized at City Hall by the New York City Council, the Black, Latino, and Asian Caucus, and the Bronx Delegation to the NYC Council for her contributions as a woman of Garifuna descent. And now I'm so excited for y'all to hear my conversation with Janelle.
2: up, Janelle. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me.
0: This is exciting because I've actually been following your work for a very, very long time. Um, I don't know if it was you or one of your correspondents, but I remember catching some of your work when you were doing like red carpets with um, like Selena's Leva and some of the women from Orange is the New Black, like eons ago. and. I remember like hearing the interviews that you were doing and I was like, this is so dope because I know that these voices I don't hear from very often. And so that was, I'm so excited because it's like years later now we're connecting.
2: It's so crazy that you mentioned that because I'm like thinking back and I'm like, that is wild because that was 2014 and it was actually my best friend and also uh, just amazing uh, person that she just works on many different components of Anti-Latina, Francis. So that's, I believe who was on the red carpet. And then I know that like afterwards, I feel like we, cause that was uh orgullosa, I believe. Yes. Uh, and so I feel like we've gone to their, we went to their events frequently. Um, so that's so wild to me that that was like six years ago. <laughs> wow. Did you still yeah. think
0: that you would be working with ENAI Latina at this, like, did you envision it to be six plus years in the making?
2: So with Ain't Latina, I am astounded sometimes at just, like, the reception and the growth. Um, I think less so now than in the beginning, but, like, for me, um, starting the site, uh, it was, like, yeah, around my birthday, 2013. And of course there was different stages before that to getting it like live, but I really thought it was going to be a destination for like a few homegirls and my family that like could resonate with this type of conversation. Um, and not to say that the conversation wasn't happening, but um, being that my training and my experience was in media and knowing that I often struggled to like find the most authentic and full picture of what it means to be a black woman of latin american descent specifically in the u.s um i was like let me just try and um the fact that yeah like almost seven years later um i'm just amazed at just the growth of the platform um and the larger like conversation around um you know afro-latinx black latinx um identity.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think that, you know, to your point, like it's not as if the conversation wasn't happening, but I think in the mainstream and in the media it really wasn't, <laughs> you know. I think that mm-hmm. like it's now something that we're seeing is and more because of Instagram, more because of Twitter and because like we're not relying on the typical gatekeepers to initiate those conversations for us. But I really think that what you've done with a and Latina and the subsequent work that's come has been a very much like opening the floodgates for people to start to feel comfortable to have these conversations, for people to start to feel um, seen. And so I think it's really dope because now, I feel like you you open up any publication and you're seeing Afro-Latinx, Afro-Latina, Afro-Latino, but that wasn't the case that many years ago when I was watching your interviews and I was like, oh shit, this is really dope.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's in, yeah, I will absolutely co-sign that. And um, I also used to, well, right after college, I interned at a... Well-known like Latinx outlet, and um, you know, it was some of what I took from there that also was like the fuel to start Ainsa Latina because to your point about the void in mainstream media, I remember like asking those questions about like, well, where are you know the black women here? You know, what's you know, is that something that there's space for? And um, is not to say that there were like sprinklings Mm. but like it was very clear and confirmed that that wasn't a priority and it was thought very much so that like the audience wasn't going to be receptive to like having um black women on a latinx uh platform Mm. front and center so uh again 10 years because i'm thinking back to my internship 10 years later um it's it's kind of wild to see again where things have gone, and it's not to say that there's there's really a lot more to be done because I think that um, while representation is important, um, I I do want to say that, and that's a large part of the conversation. I think we're now in a space where it has to go deeper, right? Yes, representation is a part of the conversation, but then we also have to talk about what it is to be, you know to live a black existence, right? Like when we think about health disparities, when we think about state-sanctioned uh, state, state, state sanctioned violence, when we think about like a lot of these things that accompany a black existence, um, not just in the U.S., but in our respective countries, um, that's also really important, really um, a huge part of the conversation and not always centered as well so i think that yes we see the representation and that's awesome and i think that's a huge part of it but i also think that we have to and are moving towards that space of okay let's talk about how in you know in honduras when you're garifuna which you know i'm garifuna um, of garifuna descent um you know why people can why garifuna leaders can be kidnapped without repercussion right like things like that. And so um, I mentioned that incident um, because it's important to, to make that correlation as representation is definitely important, but we also have to have space for the hard conversations um, that come with that too.
0: Yeah, and I think that a lot of the work that I've seen you do is that I think initially your work did start more on the representation side, right? Because you said your background was media. And now it's hard to ignore that the, your everyday struggles as a black woman, and also it we're very much living in a society where it feels at, well that it feels we have a president who essentially is condoning this violence and racism and so it's like beyond it can't just be about representation. it's not just about depict me. it's about also like save me, you know like you gotta like show that I'm that my life is a value and in every way. Um, And so I think that that work that you're doing is stepping beyond. And it's very much like, okay, now this is the next platform. This is the next step in the work that I've been working on.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that there's a phenomenal collective um, in the digital space that is ensuring that these conversations are being pushed beyond uh, representation as well. And to your point around this presidency, you know, I think he's just a small percentage of the hatred and white supremacy and, uh, you know, colonial mindset that can be paralleled in leaders that we see in Latin America, um, in leadership that was before him, but it just wasn't as blatant. And so I think that we're experiencing a compounded space of like just bs with with Mm -hmm. politics and with um hatred but yeah that too isn't you know new and um i think it's just more visible and we just are going through so many different things that many of us are just like we cannot do this anymore um and
0: yeah, I would love for you to shout out some of those cuz I I follow. I'm like the I'm not active on Twitter in terms of tweeting. I don't I'm not I'm not I feel like I'm not good at being concise, but I definitely use Twitter to understand the conversations that are happening and to, you know, educate myself. And so I would love for you to shout out some of the other um, folks that you find that are in your digital collective that really amplify the voices of Blackness, especially within the Latinx community?
2: Yeah, so I'm just going to shout out a few. Uh, please forgive me if I forget anyone, but like there's so many people. And so this is really just a sampling of, um, of folks. But like, I think about Bad Dominicana, who was doing this work on Tumblr right before platforms like Twitter um, and Instagram, and so definitely someone that you know deserves her flowers for for really um, getting the ball rolling on these conversations. Um, dash, um, who's in a dash on Twitter, um, who also ten years ago created um, Negro, a docu series, um, and traveled across Latin America asking people how they identify right and um now her and her um she's part of a collective uh radio gania negra who um it's and evelyn um and they do amazing work they have a podcast as well um javier who is her um, partner when it comes to afro-latinx travel also does phenomenal work um on instagram i'm thinking about um hashtag I am enough, Um, I'm thinking about Latina, I'm thinking about Afro-Latin diaspora page, Uh, Afro-Latinas, whom else? Uh, There's a number of scholars I'll shout out um, Black Latinas know who are in academia that are really pushing the conversation on that front. so those are so many Mm -hmm. and there's so many and i please please forgive me if i oh on the reggaeton and um um reggaeton con la gata who or i think actually excuse me reggaeton con gata who um gata is phenomenal like talking about analysis around uh this it, it like she i'm just like She's literally like a historian. Yeah. Um, and just doing phenomenal work. Um also um Jennifer um who has penned a number of pieces for uh, like Remescla and, and this others is and Mota? also yes, Jennifer Mota, um Amanda Alcantara who is amazing journalist, um Dominican, um Melania, who is a phenomenal, um, poet and just person, um, also of Dominican descent. Um, I love yeah, there's like, there so on. many. <laughs> yeah, because I, you know what it is? I, the, this question in particular always catches me because there's really so many people, um, oh, Diomada, who is of Panamanic, panamanian american descent um a phenomenal musician so like the reason why it like these questions i'm always like oh man because i know so many and um or not and and some of them i know some of them i'm just familiar with their work um and i'm truly a a fan and I, i think that like oftentimes when i have these conversations i always like to reference a collective because everyone has their own like we're in it together but we also people have their space in their lane right mm. like and i think it really lends itself to when you think about um non-white non-european like ways of like mobilization like it's not just one person there's not one leadership like one leader it's really a collective and so um there's just so many people doing this work um daniele who's also another poet um uh, on you can see her work on Twitter on on Instagram, um, and so yeah, like literally as as I'm like saying stuff, I'm like I'm thinking of more, yeah. but there's even voices that I'm probably not as familiar with that I think are contributing um, to this work, and so even though I've I've shared probably like fifteen um, at the moment, I would say that um, please just for folks listening do. Your own research right and look at some of the voices that um you gravitate toward and you feel uh represents you right well you know
0: i think that that brings me to another point which i i follow a lot of the accounts that you mentioned and like I mentioned before, I find, you know, whether it's on Instagram or whether it's on Twitter, it's a really where a lot of my education happens because there still aren't a lot of articles happen, you know, being written. There still are not enough think pieces that are responding to the times or looking at certain current events from like a black perspective a black latino perspective so it's like if you want to have that that conversation as things are unraveling going to twitter and going to instagram i find to be super helpful just so that we educate ourselves and i know um you know for people that are listening i think that a lot of the questions do come back as to like well where do i get my like how do i learn and i think that from what I've been seeing in conversations I've had, there is a step of like, we, any like non-black Latinas and Latinos, Latinx need to take that initiative to do a lot of the learning, right? And to do a lot of the understanding. And so I think that a lot of these individuals who you mentioned and shouted out are really great starting points. And because we all know we're all on Twitter, we're all on Instagram all day, every day. It's like, not just like pepper it, having like the fun side, but I think Instagram for me, I find it's most beneficial when it's educating me. Whether that's related to my mental health, whether that's related to you know race and you know what's happening, I find like so much of what's going on in news and politics I get from like social media. So I think it's like about taking that initiative and you know giving love to the people who are doing the work um, to educate as much as possible, but also to like hear the conversations. I don't know about engaging. How do you feel about people engaging in conversations that maybe have nothing to do with them?
2: Mm-hmm. Actually, before I answer that question, I just thought of two more people that I have to shout out. Natasha Alford, who is an amazing journalist at The Grio and does her own thing. Um, but she did a phenomenal piece for The New York Times around... Um, uh, Puerto Rican identity in the census um, and she's done some other just phenomenal work um, and then also in the art space um, because I feel like that's a space that often we don't um, see that like pushing of, of our narratives in like Latinx the art space. Um, so Jasmine of Gallery Girls, um, Naomi, um, who just phenomenal um, and then also... Back on just like educating um, Alan, uh, who is migrant scribble, who is non-binary, I want to mention, um, and uh, just a phenomenal poet, and just really the person who started um, Latinidad is canceled, which I think started a lot of the conv- cri- like there was already critical conversations, but then this really um, that hashtag really like was like, people were like oh let's let's dissect this. Um, and so that's that's all. I, also, what I wanted to mention, and then um, in terms of people wanting to engage in conversations that may not have anything to do with them. And so when when asked that question, it makes me think about like when, for example, people are seeing the conversations around um, like being anti-racist and learning about anti-blackness and learning about. Um, white supremacy, colonization, and how it like manifests um, on our daily basis. As someone who, um, if you identify not as a black Latinx person or black in just any context, um, but you want to engage in these conversations, first, I think it's really important, um, and side note, is that car alarm?
0: I hear it, but you know lot? what, y'all? Janelle's in the Bronx. That is like the soundtrack of the Bronx, so like it is what it
2: right. is. Right. <laughs> okay, perfect. Because I was like, oh god, no. like literally every conversation I have, uh, you will hear yes, like some sort of alarm, outside noise, ambulance, oh, right? Someone Something. yelling down the street. Oh, like right, it's all right. Happen. Honestly, I'm surprised we have not heard that yet. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so just bringing it back to. Um, you know, engaging with the conversations, I think it's really important um, because social media has created, in my opinion, while it's great, an environment where people feel like they have to be responsive, right? They can never like digest and sit with information. It's like, and I saw this a lot um, earlier this summer and late spring, unfortunately, with the, um, the murder of George Floyd and Brianna Taylor, at least when um, that information became accessible to the public and so many others, was that people felt like they needed to be the expert on sharing resources and information. And I saw both great, well-curated, and thought-out and resourceful information, and I also saw people that were sharing misinformation and things that they clearly learned yesterday, mm-hmm. right? And I think that, like... I would just advise folks that if you're in a space where you're seeking information, um, it's okay to sit with information. It's okay to also like if this is not your lane or this is not something that, you know, you need to be speaking on, like, you know, it's it's okay to be quiet, right? Like we don't have to say anything. And I and the latter I'm really thinking about Latin Latinx folk who don't have firsthand experience living in Latin America, like their parents' Latin American country or things like that. Like, yes, we, I know for myself, yes, I've visited Honduras several times, right? Like, I have my family still there, but if if someone was to tap me to speak firsthand about what it means to be um, a Honduran woman, like, then that's not my space or my place, right? And I think that, like, we have to really know and understand our lanes and so, um, I would just advise people to really get clear on that, and also to know that, like, if you, particularly, are a white person that is trying to engage in like anti-racism, um, anti-blackness work, um, sit back and listen first, and then figure out how you can truly participate authentically in this. Because it's not about getting a cookie. It's not about oh, look at me, I'm the woke white friend that wants to be supportive today, but two months from now, you took the black square off your page and, you know, you're engaging in some of the harmful behavior that you were just pointing out was an issue. So I think that would be my my insight on that. Yeah, I think that's...
0: Um... It's interesting because I follow Jamira Burley and I know that she will often, you know, call out um, individuals who she's like, who, who basically will be like, what you're saying is so racist towards white people or it's so, you know, it's not welcoming or it doesn't invite a conversation to be had because you're already dismissing us. And, you know, I again I educate myself hearing her response but it's like essentially it's like reminding ourselves and also I want to just like understand I want to actually start the conversation for those who are listening because most of our listeners are Latinas millennial Latinas and so this idea of like um being Latina is not a race right like so from let's go ground one real quick like when we talk about black, we're not talking about African-American. We're talking about you can be black Latino, you can be a white Latina, you could be brown, you could be mestiza, you know, whatever it may be. But there is a whole spectrum to that. So just by saying, well, I'm Latina, that doesn't that doesn't shield you from being racist, from being colorist, from being, you know, all of right. this.
2: <laughs> because there is a hierarchy. And I think that's your point. That's important to note. Like, I have seen and experienced where people are like, oh, well, we're all, you know, Latinx, right? Like we're all Latinas or like trying to come from a a common ground and in the way that, in in a space where to flatten the conversation around um, discrimination Mm -hmm. and racism. And it's important that like, there is a hierarchy within that, right? Like living and walking the earth as a dark skinned, Black person, and I'm saying that like dark skin because even for myself, like I'm not—I wouldn't consider myself to be dark skin. I'm, you know, I would say like a uh, medium brown, um, but that can also change depending upon the space that I'm in, right? And so it's important that like we center darks—the experience of dark skin, Black folk—when we talk about these things because they're going to be experiencing racism discrimination, anti-blackness, all the isms mm-hmm. at a greater rate than someone who wants to engage in this conversation but may be like, oh, well, I'm mixed, I'm mestiza. And it's like, er, "Like that is your experience, but also know that you're not who's being centered or, or needs to be centered at this point and also know the space that you're in because in the U.S. context, You may face certain things, but like if you also go to like, uh, and I've learned this specifically from the work of um, Dash and Javier with their trainings, please check them out, um, in that, you know, in Latin America, who is, who's, who's at the top, right? It's very much so a lot of Latinxs in the U.S. that, that claim um, discrimination, so uh, we have to be very clear on the space um, and um, what that means yeah. to identity.
0: And do you think that there's so much, um, uh, other than it being just like, right, there's all these implicit bias and there's underlying racism and colorism that we all, like that that the Latin, like honestly, most cultures are, you know, that, that I'm trying to figure out how to say this, but that is at the bottom of all of our cultures, right? It's the foundation of every of, of so much of society, right? This like anti-blackness that if you look, yes, it's not just a Latin thing. It's, it's so many different nationalities and ethnicities and, you know, individuals who deal with it. But do you think that another reason why the Latinx community has such a hard time with like not being centered or individuals have such a hard time with not being centered is because there's still a, well, we're not at a place where we feel recognized, we feel successful. So it's like this crab in the barrel. Like if you're not talking about me, then are they even
2: going to recognize
0: me? Are they going to remember me?
2: I think that's definitely what we see happening. Um, I think what's unfortunate is some of it is people not having access to like understanding around power dynamics um and uh yeah mostly power dynamics because the thing about it is if we're clear on the fact that like the most if the most marginalized person in existence receives the equity and the support and the recognition that they deserve then that would then mean everyone else would receive all of that, right? And so I think that um, what I see oftentimes um, um, happening with um, Mesti sex or um, white Latinx folk is this, what well, we experience, you know, we're experiencing this too. And it's like, no, what you're experiencing is xenophobia. Um, if you are brown, And see, this is also, and I'm not going to get into the dynamics around brown because I also, I think I need to, I would like to do more deeper research and analysis around this. But I find that a lot of people that are claiming brown are not even brown. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like brown is more of like this ideology versus actual lived experience, if that makes sense. And so I often am like brown wear. Like I'm brown, and I'm black. You know what I'm saying? Like that sort of sort of thing. And so I just feel like people need to get real, and 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 also to check their privilege because a lot of that crabs in a barrel and pick me and I'm you know the most uh, marginalized here. Although I see that you're marginalized too, is simply people wanting to center themselves, mm-hmm. not understanding or not even not understanding, but being selfish and not a engaging with black people. Because if you engage and knew black people beyond whatever superficial uh, perception you have with them, then you would then also know that like hey like if they're good then I'm gonna be good too but there's a lot at play um and I would encourage people to take um I mentioned earlier Dash and Javier but they do a really great job of breaking down um this in their coursework and so uh definitely like wanna yeah check yeah check them out for this work I feel like a lot of the conversations around being
0: anti-racist, um, I think our own community forgets that that exists within us, right? I think that a lot of people are thinking about it in terms of like, with my African American colleagues. And there's this, there's this misunderstanding that it also being anti-racist is work within your own family within your friends within your community within your church whatever that may look like because our language can be really coded our actions towards one another you know and so it's about doing that additional work and not having any fear in doing it because it's it is complicated yes you will have to have difficult conversations but these won't be the first time in your life i mean i'm imagining if you're an adult that you would have to have a difficult conversation and so it would be very very necessary and you know i appreciate i appreciate you saying check your privilege and there was another interview that i listened to you where you talked about um making space and i would love for Mm -hmm. you to um to talk a little bit about what that can look like for people in their everyday life
2: um what Mm -hmm. making space looks like absolutely um i'm gonna get to that question but i just wanted to also shout out a cultured company and specifically france francois who are phenomenal, um, and their entire team, because I know that there's many of them just doing great work. So I just wanted to shout them out also in the uh, in shout-outs. And then also, to to your point about the fact that, like, people in our, and I'm going to say are specifically referencing, like, those, yeah, of Latin American descent, I think it's easier to deflect, you know, the fact that, like, oh, we don't do this, right? Because mm. it's it's harder if you have to look in the mirror and be like, "Wow, like this is how I've been a- operating." And then also, too, I think it's important for me to note that like anti-blackness has seeped into virtual. It's it's not escapable. And even um with those of us who identify as Black, Latinx, wherever, just Black of the diaspora, we have to navigate anti-blackness because we have lived in a very anti-black space our entire lives so that that work is something that we're navigating as well whether some people that looks like dating preferences whether that looks like acceptance of your body whether that's you know come you know their complexion like features like there's there's so many different parts of that and so again this work is not separate even from those of us that identify as black um, black people cannot be racist, but in terms of like anti-blackness and you know, colonization, those things are, you know, within us too. Um, but to to speak about um, to speak about ways in which people can make space, um, <clears throat> for one, you have to listen. You really have to be familiar and comfortable with listening to people um i'm thinking about folks that are white that you know oftentimes are like how can i like how can i um support my black colleagues um if they have black friends like what does that look like and if you're acquainted with them in a genuine way like you know what some of the concerns are and so then it's about plugging yourself into what that is um, on a professional level, level making space means that if you're in a meeting and, um, you know, your boss or whomever speaks over a black person, um, and you yourself are not black, you know, there's ways in which you could interject and and be like, oh well, t- to what so and so mentioned, you know, blah, blah blah blah, like that. That's a way that you could do that in the workspace. Um, in terms of, I see this all all the time, particularly in media and just panel discussions. Like, I think that's actually one of the greatest things that I see. Um, I'm tired of seeing panels where people are talking about topics like anti you know anti racism work and all of this, and you have no Black folks. Like, how are you? A, able to accept that um, as a panelist. Um, and then on top of that, like, why not say to the, the organizers, actually, I don't see anybody on this panel that is Black. I don't see anyone um, on this panel that can speak to. And I know even for myself, and what's so interesting to me is like, I know many of the people in the collective that I mentioned, like, we make space for, you know, and knowing our lanes, like, we make space. We're like, oh, this is happening. Let me refer this person, right? And so I find that it's interesting when there are non-Black folks, white folks particularly, who get invited to speak at certain things um, and then they don't make space by advocating for um, a Black person, an Indigenous person, I I think that's the greatest way. Like when, when in the media, particularly when there's opportunities, also for the writers, journalists out there, make space by knowing when you should. um, And I bet you, I know there's someone that's going to be like, "Well, we're journalists, we're writers. Like we can write about everything." And I just had this conversation with somebody. That is true in theory, but I even challenge many of what, much of what we were instructed. As journalists particularly because it doesn't apply in my opinion to black and indigenous folks like a lot of what we learned Um, and uh, I say that specifically to say that when when it comes to like writing articles know your lane know your space like I've definitely been in a position where I felt like you know what I'm actually not the person to write this I'm not the person to speak to this Um, as those people who might get approached about you know, again, speaking opportunities or even like being a source in something. It's like, know your space, make room for those that that's actually their work. um, That's actually their lived experience. Um, That's how you can advocate for people.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I think that's so resourceful. And I think that that's something that like literally everyone, no matter your role, no matter what you do, you can absolutely, it's accessible, right? That doesn't cost any money. We didn't talk about anything that doesn't talk about any money at this point. Although I will say that I think it's also about making an effort to support the individuals who are doing the work. If there's someone who like, you're consuming a lot of their stuff and they have a Patreon, go and support it. If they sell merch, you know, doing those extra steps because I think it's like the way that we're going to ensure that more people have the platform and can take the time and energy to create work it's going to be by supporting them without a doubt, you know?
2: Absolutely. Throw money at the people that you're learning from. Earlier, I mentioned, you know, several folks. There is many more. Like, ask them how you can support. Um, I know that we're amid a pandemic and there's a lot of crazy things going on. But I know that there's also this time is not stopping checks for Mm. some, particularly again non black folk um and so if you are learning please not even please if you are learning see how you can support people yeah. financially like that's really what it what it comes down to so yeah
0: yes okay so we've talked a lot about your work and now i want to talk about you Janelle i want to know how do you self care
2: yeah that's such a great question about self-care and I'll be honest, it comes at a time where I need to re-up on my self-care because I feel like uh, just being in the middle of like a great great transitions in my life, I just have been on, on go. Um, and I think that maybe that too is part of my self-care. like it's it's not something that is linear and sometimes you're really good at self-caring other times. Mm -hmm. Not so much, Um, but I do like to, in the morning specifically, before I start my day, I really try to do, have me time before jumping into like everything that I have to do. So that can look like journaling. That could look like, if not a full workout, like stretching. Um, I love teas, so it's it's warm now, but I still, I feel like I still drink tea. Like it doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. Um, But I try to like do that. Um, If I have like essential oils, um, you know, this is, I forget who I got this from, but I absolutely love doing this in the morning. Um, Like when I'm running a shower, I like put a few drops of essential oil as the shower steaming up and I feel like I'm in a spa. You know, it's the little things because I think sometimes people look at self-care as like this unattainable thing, right? Where it's like... I I possibly don't have time for self-care, but, you know, I would challenge folks to just like see one thing that they could do for themselves. So for me, you know, that's oftentimes what I like to do. And then even self-care is saying, um, and I was just having a conversation on IG Live with Melania, who is, she is Mela, and, you know, she was saying like, saying no, and I love that because I also have found myself to be doing that as well, like, knowing what my bandwidth is and saying no when um, I can't and not feeling, like, bad about that, right? Like, that's self-care, too. So I think it's a combination of a few things, but, like, that's how I'm self-caring at the moment. I love that you said, like, just, like, these
0: really attainable, not, like... You're not dropping a lot of coins. Like, it's all super there. Because for me, recently, it was like, I was, like, putting lotion on after a shower. And I just, like, did it very intentionally, where it was almost like I was giving, like, my legs a little massage, gave my foot. And I was like, why do we wait for it to be someone else? or going to get a mani-pedi, which I'm not doing, we're in COVID, I don't care how many glass cases you put up, I'm a little paranoid, you know, and so it's like, why do we wait to do those little pleasures just to ourselves, right, it's just like, so like, even just taking that extra five minutes to put on like, lotion lovingly, is like, just like, a, like thanking the body in some way, you know, making it a ritual, mm-hmm. and so we can have those little moments where you drop a little bit of essential oil, which by the way, I'm gonna do, because that sounds yes. amazing. <laughs>
2: It's great, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I, I love that. And, you know, I'm always curious because I find that, the you know, you're constantly in a space where you have to talk about race. You have to talk about the, whether it's injustice or putting people in their place or whatever it is. And so, like, how do you deal with that on a day-to-day? Do you feel like it's, like, a gift You know, I remember speaking to like a therapist. We actually interviewed a therapist on the show who she works in trauma, right? And so she's constantly talking to people who have either witnessed, sometimes they've witnessed murders, they've been the victims of sexual assault, like just like the most graphic things every single day. And and for me, I'm such a sensitive person that I'm always like, I don't know how you can hear that multiple times a day, day after day. And be in a sane space, and so I'm very curious, like how someone like yourself can have these conversations that I would imagine get exhausting because you're probably repeating yourself over and over again. Um, so how do you just sort of like maintain sanity? <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. go about
2: it on a day to day basis. Yeah, oh, that's such a great question. Um... And it's interesting because I never really thought about the physical and particularly like emotional strain of this type of work. Um, and I, I more so think about it like in terms of like the interviews that I do too. Like a lot of the pieces that I write are very, um, not all, but m- many of them are are pretty heavy and intensive around like health disparities and you know how racism is killing folks and um just so many different things and uh as again it's not until like within the last year that I really thought about it because I was in like a group a woman's like group uh just talking about things and like I almost had a breakdown because I was like oh my gosh like yes I am literally always talking about these things and like it's not easy um and so i think self-care is part of of that um i also have like this conversation with um a very close friend of mine who's also a life coach um nori Pounsel who's also someone who's afro-latina to, to follow and she has helped me uh tremendously talking through some of these um these things are getting very clear um and so I do think I'm still working on like the best ways of like navigating that um but I do think self-care is very helpful um also honoring what I'm feeling so like if you were to ask me this five years ago I probably would be like you know I'm just like pushing through it and I've realized like within again the last year like we are trained um and I think specifically Black women are, are viewed as uh, having to take the brunt of everything, right? Like, oh, it's, it ain't nothing to her, right? Like, she could handle this. She can, you know, take care of not just herself, her family, um, all these different things. And, like, that is exhausting. And I think that, like, honoring the feeling of, like, I'm tired. Like, and so nowadays, like... I will have, like, extreme uh, deadlines and stuff like that, but if I can't do it emotionally, like, then I have to honor that and I have to figure out a way um, on my end to, like, insert rest. So I think that's my way of dealing with it is also being really honest about what I'm feeling and and um, honoring that. I feel like that comes with maturity, right? Yes, absolutely, because... <laughs> I was not doing that a while ago. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I think initially it's like you want to be superwoman. Like, mm-hmm. especially you, you were starting a whole new endeavor and it's like, you know, it's a lane that no one's created and it's like, watch me work, I got this, I'm gonna go. And then you just realize like, it's it's so much labor and it's so much that you're putting out and I'm sure oftentimes you're not getting replenished by others, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, I think even finding your crew, finding that collective who could like you can then be like, okay, I need to vent, I need to whatever, I need to, because, again, so much of your work happens on social media that I'm sure there's, like, there has to be, like, the side that you're not exposing so that people kind of oh, yeah. can't access that layer, right?
2: Absolutely. Um, and I'm starting to, like, set up some, you know, boundaries, even particularly on social. Um, like, it's so crazy, Like, I have said in my bio, on my personal page, like, with Ain't That Latina, um, particularly, I do allow for that to be more of an open space, so, like, people can DM, people can, like, comment, you know, but for my personal space on, like, Instagram and even Twitter, you know, I've said, like, for inquiries, like, send an email like don't dm or like i've actually been on the social media slowdown for the last like i want to say a little bit over a month so like i'll post things but like i'm not really on social um and more so i've been on twitter in like the last couple days but like i've really been on some like this is my time on social this week and i'm not going like beyond that because social is draining it's great but like it's very draining and Um, as someone that has had to engage on social for my profession for 10 years, Mm -hmm. you know, not just even specifically around like this work, but just like as, as a journalist, as a, as a, like you have to engage on social. And so that's very tiring um and shout out to all the journalists that like have to report on these things like for national publications or not even just national publications for anything it's like kudos to y'all because I know that's not easy um but yeah it's it's setting boundaries that's something that I'm also um doing and also to I think a point that you made earlier about like this work I'm very clear that like, this was what I was placed here to do, right? Like to be a storyteller in this way. Um, Because if, for one, there's been many points where I'm like, dang, I don't know if I'm gonna do this anymore. Like, this is a lot, this is all X, Y, Z, but I'm very clear that this is what, what my role is in on this plane. And like, I'm very thankful and appreciative that I've been led to do that that work. And so even though that is the case, I still have to make space for replenishment and um, to take care of myself in the process. Absolutely. What brings you joy? Family. Family brings me a lot of joy. Um, I love a good time, like laughing and like Being, like, I miss, like, being able to turn up with my friends. Like, that's something. I mean, you could still do it to a certain degree at home. But, like, yeah, I think that that's been, like, probably one of the most challenging things about, like, COVID is that, like, I'm so used to. And I've still been, I've been thankfully able to see my family. But, like, friends, like, my friends bring me a lot of joy. And I can see them on Zoom and stuff. But, like... Yeah, I miss like the in person because those are like being in community is really like important to me. But then also too, um, I love a good book and I love being by myself um, as well. What do you What do you um, read? Writing. So I'm actually rereading When Chicken Heads Come Home to Roost, um, Joan Morgan, which I remember when Joan Morgan. So I went to Syracuse. And she came um and so she signed this book which i'm like oh so grateful for um but i'm rereading it and talk about timely that title is the best and yeah. i'm super interested <laughs> yeah definitely i mean read it uh she's also i believe now she's in academia but she uh she's she's a journalist a hip-hop journalist so so yeah nice Mm
0: -hmm. and i know you have some work coming up in an anthology wild tongues can't be tamed can you tell us a little bit about that
2: yeah so um i don't know how much i can share uh on it at the moment but i will say um Again, speaking about the collective, uh, Saricia Fennel, who is also of Garifuna descent, also from the Bronx. Shout out to her. She is a phenomenal, um, just advocate for Black Latinx folks in publishing and um, has the Bronx's reading. And talk about full circle. I interviewed her uh, for an Oprah Magazine piece I want to say two years ago, um, and we had just kept, and I knew her, of her work before then, but we just have kept in contact. And she uh, told me essentially that she was working on a, a Latinx anthology uh, with Flatiron Books. And when the time came, she asked me if I was interested in contributing a piece. And so um, I Think that that's probably as much as I can say about it at the moment. But I would say uh please do stay tuned for 2021. Um, because just from the different voices that will be included, um Saaricia's, of course, um, there has been uh media notice around um, who's gonna be in it and it is a it's a dope lineup, but um I would say that like this is my foray into publishing, which is a space that I've been trying to well, let's let me be real, I didn't know much about publishing. um, But I definitely have been interested in it. And um, there's just been a number of really great, I think anthologies, particularly for our community that have come out over the last few years. Um, And I think just being able to be a part of this one, I'm really excited about.
0: That's super exciting. I will definitely be on the lookout because that sounds dope, and I'm really excited to see. W- and also, the title just is like,
2: mm,
0: I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like a lot of like yeah. fierce energy right there for sure.
2: Oh yeah, and the voices that are in- included, you're definitely in for a treat. So yeah, <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> so, what are you excited about? What's next for you?
2: uh what am I excited about? Um, you know, right now I. I think I'm just excited about like new opportunities that are that are coming my way. Um I'm excited for also a little bit of downtime. Um not downtime per se, but like uh I will be writing. I want to say uh, but I I think I'm at a space where like I want to work on some larger projects. So, um you know, my I won't probably be writing as much in the coming months but i because because i want to write you know specifically of these projects that i have in queue and so um that's what i'm excited about like I'm, i think that i'm in a space of like transition and um i'm excited to see what that brings
0: well as someone who has been following your journey for quite some time i'm super excited for what you have next because oh, i know it's gonna be dope. You.
2: Oh, I appreciate that so much. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Janelle. Thank you for your
0: time. Thank you for all the work that you've been doing and we can't wait to see what's next. I'm always impressed by individuals who take on work that is very like in my opinion like labor intensive like it requires mm-hmm. a lot of them like mind body soul and that the at the end of the day they're like almost like I wouldn't have it any other way like I know that this is my yeah. purpose and with yeah. now, it's she's just definitely one of those people um and so I appreciated her honesty and her openness mm-hmm. and I know this conversation has so many layers to it and it can go deeper and honestly I would love to have her back on in the future and yeah. Hope that you all um, would send us some of your questions. You know, if there's things that, that you want to know and are curious about, because I think that we need to be open to having these conversations. But also, mm-hmm. she ain't gonna do the work for us, y'all. So it's like we got to be doing the ones who are going yeah. out and doing our research and going out and and really spending our time trying to educate ourselves.
1: Right, and especially when we talk about you know Latinidad and when we talk about. Um, everything that we've been living with Black Lives Matter this year. I think, like you say, we, we don't have all the answers, but it's also okay to ask. It's okay to research. I think she's she's so amazing. She has great energy, so intelligent, and just so willing, right, to kind of guide people mm-hmm. through the work that she's doing, like you say, so selflessly, um, to make sure that not only we understand that we include these conversations wherever we work, wherever we're at, and, and that we also make sure that we are become you know, allies that we've become, There are brothers and our sisters that we mm-hmm. stand with all of us, we, with all our complexities um, in, in this fight of equality, you know, and equity that not only happens in this country, but in Latin America, um, quite a lot. So I, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, like you say, a huge fan of everything she does. I was so glad that you were able to chat with her and just all the knowledge she was dropping too. There's still so much for us to unpack, so much for us to learn. Um, even for us to understand of, of the stories and the places and who we are, you know, and what we represent and how we want to be defined. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so much. I need, I know there's a lot of questions regarding these conversations. There's so much for us to talk about and we'll continue to do so, you know, to include these voices um, and these issues and um, these situations that happen even within, within our communities, within our homes
0: absolutely absolutely so this is just the beginning and um i hope that you all are feeling just as inspired as i am you know i think this goes back to what we said at the beginning there there's just so much work to do and i know that mm-hmm. with someone like a uh, biden and kamala coming into our power it can feel as though oh it's going to be all good but these distinctions within our communities. These these conversations have been brewing for centuries,
1: and yep.
0: we can't pass up on this opportunity to address what is real and the anti blackness that is a part of our society. You know, mm-hmm. not just right. within Latinidad, but a part of uh, of the fabric of of our nation. And so, I I'm really looking forward to ways that we can educate ourselves and ways that we can bring that to you all too, so we can be women of action. In, yeah. and 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 yep. in belief um, right. so Janelle thank you so much for your time you all can follow her on Instagram at ain't I latina and on Twitter Janelle M writes I would definitely recommend I love her Twitter feed um, she's just so smart and engaging and so mm-hmm. definitely definitely check her out and um, we love to hear from y'all so drop us some comments on Instagram send us an email wait holds up podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of this episode and definitely, definitely show Janelle some love.
1: Yeah. And leave us a review, leave us a comment, a review if you liked it, if there's something in particular you'd like for us to have or discuss. Uh we also love to hear from you wherever you listen to the podcast, Spotify, Apple, leave us your comments, your reviews. Um, yeah. And we thank you so much. And I love that quote by the way, Jess. Women of action and of belief. That was powerful. Hmm. Thanks. Quote of the week. Quote of the week.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm down. <laughs> Boom. All right, y'all. Until next time, we love you. Bye. Bye.